0: Carlton, if you keep introducing me like that, I'm not going to stay humble very long. <laughs> it's, uh, it is good to be here with you all this morning. I have looked forward to being here ever since Christ's mission began to Amen. come into the ELCA. The South Carolina Synod has been changed in a lot of different ways, or at least the face of Columbia has. Amen. I think uh, one of the first times I was exposed to this congregation, well, not the first time, but maybe one of the more memorable times was immediately after the flood. I walked into the building there, and y'all were bringing in case after case after case after case of water for the neighborhood around here. And that was when the bridge was out, and you had to drive forty-five minutes around to get here. And one of the things that stuck out to me, as as somebody who, who has seen congregations all around the state do this sort of effort, is that, you know, Christ's mission did it with a heart and a passion, that was an example to me throughout the whole time that we've been working on flood relief, reminding me of the difference that one congregation can make in a neighborhood. You know, hearing the number of of people y'all fed those meals, how many people did y'all feed? Anyone remember? About 1,500 people here. You know, and, and one of the ways that I see the gospel in this, the way I see God at work in this, is that Christ Lutheran Church that was here, like a lot of Lutheran churches in the state, began when everyone who was Lutheran kind of lived around the church. Mm -hmm. And over the years, all the Lutherans kind of moved out. The Mm -hmm. church stayed here, and the people moved out but came here for church. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, this church wasn't really a part of the neighborhood. It was in the neighborhood, but not of the neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. And what I see here is the Holy Spirit working to make this a place that is of the neighborhood again, Mm -hmm. a place that the people in the neighborhood have an opportunity to have a church Mm -hmm. nearby, that cares about who they are, cares about where they are, and wants to make a difference in their lives. To me, that is the way the gospel is preached. That is the way the gospel is taught to the world. And as I was preparing for this week's sermon, the verse in John 12 12 that really stuck out to me was in the beginning of John chapter 12, and I'm going to just read a little bit from that real quick. And uh, beginning with, uh, with 12 verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who attended the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray Jesus, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. Mm -hmm. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, leave her alone. She she bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. Mm -hmm. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Mm -hmm. And there were a couple of things that started to, to go around in my head. One of those is I started to think about how rich the sense of smell is in our lives and how powerfully it connects us to things. Mm-hmm. It was 1982, and I lived in Hollywood, Florida. I was, uh, I was five at the time, I think. And I remember sitting in an orange tree in our backyard and what it smelled like when I dug my thumb into that rind and, and all the citrus juices kind of sprayed out. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a, a really distinct smell of, a, of an orange fresh off the tree as you dig into it with your thumb you know and, and thinking about that i remember all of a sudden i see in vivid color the leaves around and the alley out back i also i remember the smell of incense the first time i walked into a church that used incense i remember the carpet and i remember the pews around me and i remember the how walking into that space where the incense was made me feel like i was someplace different made me feel like i was someplace set apart made me feel like i was someplace holy you know i I remember the smell the first time I walked into a boy's locker room. Now, that's a much different smell than the smell of incense. Amen. But, you know, it's amazing how much these smells really connect us to different things. And, and sometimes it's a smell that connects us with, with that childhood innocence, that childhood joy that, that comes from the experience of fresh fruit. Sometimes it's a smell that connects us with that sense of the holy that comes from smelling incense or that comes from, I don't know about y'all, but when when I do communion, one of the things I smell is that bread. I smell the wine, and it reminds me of the presence of God with me. You know, and Mm -hmm. smelling those uh, middle school locker rooms, that brings a much different feeling. Mm -hmm. But I I also think about how sometimes the the smell of kindness, Mm -hmm. the smell of love, is something that lingers in our nostrils too and i and i think about mary washing jesus feet with her hair mm-hmm. now now remember that this was a time before indoor plumbing this was a time before the the standard bathing practices that we have where we like to do it once a day if we can or at least at least sometimes if you're my wife you know a few times a day mm-hmm. but you know think about what it was like back then what people's feet were like back then you know i know my feet probably are not the most beautifully smelling part of my body. Imagine a first century foot that may have been traveling the road, that had been walking and sweating and getting nasty. Mm -hmm. And the difference in Mary's experience it makes as she begins to wash that foot with her hair, Mm -hmm. as she begins to anoint it with perfume, the stinking, sweating, smelling feet. Even Jesus had stinky feet Mm -hmm. that were covered with the perfume of her love. It's a, it's a powerful image to me because of how intimate that really is. I don't know about y'all, but I'm not a person who likes to touch a lot of feet if I can help it. And the thought of, of washing someone's feet with my hair, you know, all of a sudden that is just such a close interaction. It reminds me of the closeness of God. It reminds me of the way that God comes to us through the word read and preached the way God comes to us through the sacrament of communion, the way God comes to us through the waters of baptism, the way God comes to us when we serve the people around us, the way God comes to us when we bring the good news of Jesus to the people in the neighborhoods around us, to the people in our lives, to our families and our friends, to the people who we care about, through the things that we do for them and with them, where God comes to us in that. And the way we show God to the people around us Amen. as we use these hands that God has given us to serve and love to do these works of mercy that we have been called to do. Amen. And sometimes that, that scent of love, mm-hmm. that aroma of the presence of God yes. smells like bottles of water stacked mm-hmm. in a parish hall. Amen. Smells like food cooked for a neighborhood that mm-hmm. can't get over the bridge to get to the grocery store. Amen. Smells like people who know that there is a church in their neighborhood who cares about who they are and where they are, not because they want something out of them, but because God has called them to serve them. This is what love smells like too. Love is a powerful thing Mm -hmm. and it drives us to go out of our way and to do things that we never would have imagined that we might otherwise be able to do. And... Also, another verse that came into my mind is where Paul was talking about if anybody in Philippians, if anybody has reason to boast, it's me. Mm-hmm. And he goes off to list his qualifications. You know, a a Jew who was born of Jews and in his own tribe, mm-hmm. circumcised on the seventh day, he was a priest, he was this, he was that. Yes. And he says, But for all the reasons that I have to boast, compared to what I have in Christ, everything else is rubbish. Mm-hmm. Now this is this is one of those Bible words that When I took Greek, I I giggled about. Because the word is scuba. And the word skubala, really, it means rubbish. Mm -hmm. But really, it's got a more earthy kind of connotation. What it really means is, and y'all pardon me, is crap. Mm -hmm. You know, next to what I have through God in Christ, all those things that I have to boast about are crap. Mm -hmm. Because what God gives me through the death and resurrection of Jesus... (coughs) is this new life, this new opportunity, this new foundation, this new home, this new place to call my own, that God has prepared for me, Mm -hmm. that none of my qualifications, none of my education, none of the good things I could do, not my bank account, not my car, not my house, could earn me this love that I get through Christ, Mm -hmm. could change me in the way this love of God changes me, could welcome me in my brokenness, in my shame, and in my pain knowing my past and knowing my future in the way that God has called me through the waters of baptism and transforms me every day and reminds me that even when I feel like I am worthless, like I am rubbish, Mm -hmm. like I am crap, that through the love of God in Christ Jesus, through the waters of baptism, I am worthy. And God makes me holy. And God makes me worthwhile. Because where God is, ordinary things become holy. Bread and wine become elements for communion. Water is infused with the Spirit to become holy. And every day, ordinary people, broken and sinful the way we all are, become the saints of God because where God is, ordinary things become holy. I think of people like Moses. Moses, who was on the run from Pharaoh because he killed somebody. And... Moses received the call from God to go and do something holy and said, I am not worthy and God makes him worthy. And he says, I don't have the words. And God said, I'll give you the words. I think of Noah who built the ark and didn't want to do it at first. And then the first thing he did when he got out of the ark was plant a vineyard and get so drunk he was laying in his tent naked. You know, this was someone who God chose to do holy work. God doesn't call us. Because we are holy, God doesn't call us even necessarily because we do all the right things, but God calls us because he sees in us something that sometimes we can't see in ourselves. Mm -hmm. God sees in us that capability. Mm -hmm. God sees in us the the things that lie within that so often lie dormant because we don't know how to do it ourselves. But God calls us not because we're prepared, but calls us because God knows who we are and knows what we're capable of. Mm -hmm. And maybe the most powerful part of the gospel to me isn't that I believe in God, but it's that God believes in me. God believes in me enough to call me into ministry. Mm -hmm. God believes in y'all enough to give you ministry to do wherever you are in your lives, whether you're at work or whether you're at home, Mm -hmm. whether you're at church or whether you're at school, whether you're on a mission trip on spring break, God believes in us enough to give us that work to do and let it be in our hands, empowering us and strengthening us and guiding us and loving us and making us holy in those places where we feel broken and shining God's light of love into those places where we're afraid to see the light and calling those places blessed too. We hear in in John chapter 12 from the part that Carl read this morning. When I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Mm-hmm. And this is always, I remember the, one of the very first times I read that was at a time when I needed to hear it. It was a time when I felt very separated from God. It was a time when I felt very alone. It was a time when I felt very powerless. Mm-hmm. It was a time when I didn't feel particularly holy. I will draw all people to myself when I am lifted up from the earth. And what's interesting about that phrase is this word draw. You know, we a lot of times we think about our faith and we think about salvation. And especially in the South, we hear about, hear about it as this choice that we make. You know, I chose Jesus and then everything else changed. And it sounds like a lot of times when we talk about it, we give the list of all the things that we would otherwise brag about, but now we're afraid to brag about. So we say it as, you know, I used to do all these things. But then I met Jesus and everything else got easy, right? And... It's not necessarily the meeting of Jesus that makes things easy because, G- we, like we said in Sunday school this morning, Jesus promised that we would suffer. Mm-hmm. But what, what it changes in us is, is that perspective because when we hear Jesus say, I will draw all people to myself, it reminds us that it isn't about my choice at all. Really, it's about God's choice to do this for us, God's choice to bring us, God's choice to draw us. And that verb, to draw, appears, I think it's three times in the Gospel of John, other than this. One of those times, it's where, where Peter draws the sword in the garden when Jesus is arrested to cut off the ear of the slave. How much control does this sword have over what it's drawn to do, or whether it remains in its scabbard, or whether it's drawn at all? You know, Another time is when Jesus is at the well with a Samaritan woman, and he asks her to draw some water. You know, does the, does the water have any control over what the ladle does? The other time that we hear this verb is in John chapter 21 when the disciples are fishing and they're not able to catch anything. And Jesus, unrecognized, says from the shore, cast the net to the other side. So they cast the net over to the other side and all of a sudden it's full to almost bursting. And it's so full they can't even drag the net into the boat. That same verb that was draw is now drag. And all of a sudden, I see this verse in John 12 in a much different way. When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw, I will drag, I will pull, I will tug. I will bring you without any power of your own control because this is what God does when God is present. God claims what is God's own as his own. God declares that What God creates, God loves and draws us or drags us, whichever way our will happens to be. Mm -hmm. Now, that's not to say we don't have something to do, but it is to remind us that when God's involved, choice is a really narrow term. So what do we do with all this? I think I think one thing we do with this is that we remember in those times when we're feeling low and empty and broken and afraid and our shame is more powerful than our faith that what God gives us in Christ is precious and it's luxurious and it smells so sweet to those of us who are caught up in those reels in our heads that tell us how worthless we are when we hear God tell us through baptism that we are worthwhile. I think the other thing that's important for us to hear in this is that sometimes we might be resistant and sometimes we we might try to go one way when we're called to go the other way. There's only so far we can get before God starts to pull again. And the third thing, for those of us who are going out and we're going to, to our daily lives of ministry, which is all of us, you know, how is it that we are called to draw and drag people to Jesus? How is it that we're called through our thoughts and our words and our deeds, through the things that we choose to say? How do we lift up the love that God is calling the world with so that we can draw people into Jesus, to let them know that they are valued and they are loved and they are worthwhile and that God has a place for them too? Because the promise of God and the salvation of God isn't that some glad morning we're going to wake up in a place far away. But as we learn in Revelation, God is creating the new city. God is creating the new heaven, the new earth here among us, and God is redeeming creation. That God is making this place, the place that is promised. And in the way that we hear in Jeremiah 31, there will come a day when I put my words in my people's mouth, and we hear the promise over and over again that I will give my people a place, and I will give my people a home, and I will give them land, and I will give them a home. And I will give them these things that they yearn for through the things that we do and say and share with the world around us. We are giving that good news that we hear so often that there is a place for this broken world to see its healing and to feel the forgiveness and to hear that God has a place for it too. Amen.